0: in your Bibles to Numbers 21. Wednesday night, we are making our way through the Old Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, started with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We find ourselves all the way at Numbers chapter 21 this evening. Now, Father, as we turn our hearts toward Heaven to consider your holy word, we receive it for that which it is, the Word of God. We know that no scripture, no prophecy has its origin in man. but holy men of old of ancient times were, were moved by the Holy Spirit, carried along by him, and rode as inspired of God. These words from your heart to mankind, showing us the way to be saved. May we take uh, take your word into consideration tonight in the most serious way. In Christ's name, amen. Well, here in Numbers 21, we finally have some momentum going. Israel is moving and moving in the right direction. And, uh, you know, it just reminds me of, you know, those some of the scenes in, The Lord of the Rings, where, you know, they just have some parts of the story that seem to go on forever. Like, are they ever going to get out of those marshes? You know, it just goes on and on, all these side journeys forever, you know. But, you know, ultimately, it comes back into focus. And here, tonight, the people of God are moving forward Uh, So, with the kids of the fallen generation at the wheel, the Jews now have finished their wandering, and they're grumbling. We won't be hearing any more of that anymore. That was part of the problem of not going anywhere. And now they're winning some battles. The 40-year sentence of the older generation is coming to a close, and God's faithfulness to punish their lawlessness and rebellion now is given away, given way, I should say, to his mercy and to his grace. And now they are winning. They're on a victory march. They're trusting and repenting and believing God and progress is being made. And they're entering this land that God will name Israel, meaning governed of God, or to strive with God or to be saved by God. That is what The word Israel means. Now, the new generation is still flawed, but God's grace is greater and He's making a way for them. Now, I thought, since it's the new year, just kind of give a recap of how we got here. And um, it all started 400 years ago, 400 years earlier, I should say, than Numbers 21, with a promise to a man called Abram. Now, our first map here. Abram originates from Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is between, the word means between two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. So there in between, I wish I had my my pointer there, right around where it says Baghdad, right in between the river Tigris and Euphrates, all that strip there, the long strip that goes into Southern Turkey, northern Iraq, and Iran, and Syria all include what is called the cradle of civilization. Because in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the Garden of Eden is in between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Now, secular historians call this area the cradle of civilization, saying that this is where they These are secular writers, believe that life started right there. Amazing coincidence that Genesis chapter 2 says that's where the Garden of Eden and where life began. Wow. And so Abraham lived somewhere there, about 800 miles from Canaan. God called apparently his father, Terah. Genesis chapter 11, Terah, Lot, Abraham's uh, brother's son, and... Abram, his name at the time, and Sarai, his wife, from, let's say, uh, where Mosul is, down through Syria, and they stop in Genesis 12, there at the end of 11, they stop at Haran, where the dad stays, but the call of God to Abram to go to the promised land begins right there, another 500 miles from Syria down to where you see the word Palestine, which is a word that is a misnomer. And I'm going to talk about that later. In other words, that name uh, is erroneous. It, it It is not an accurate description of a biblical term for the promised land. And so, a- Abram, thank you for that map. Now, with Abram there and settled there in Canaan... There's a dual promise given to this man and the Lord appears to Abram there in Genesis 12 and says to your offspring, I will give this land. So there's a covenant. God makes a promise, an agreement, a contract, if you will, with this man. And he says, it's got two parts to it, Abram. I'm going to give you people and I'm going to give you a land. The promised land, that's why it's called the promised land, because God promised it to Abram, who is in Genesis 13 called a Hebrew, because he comes from a, a man named Eber. So everybody who descends from Eber is called a Hebrew. And now f- through Abram's body, everybody born in his line is called a Hebrew. To the Hebrews, he is promised this strip of land, well, it's actually a lot bigger than a strip originally, and to the Hebrews. The people will be numerous. In Genesis 12, it says they shall be like the dust of the earth, the stars of the sky. They will be a blessing, and God says through these people, the entire world will be blessed, meaning through these people, God will incarnate himself through a Jewish womb and enter in as he has promised to save the world. In that way, all the nations of the world would be blessed. The promised land there in Canaan, the parameters, Genesis 15, Numbers 34, and Joshua 15, the outline. Let me show you a picture. If you go to Genesis 15, Numbers 34, and Joshua 15, and draw the lines, this is the promised land. Now, what they now have now is the size of new jersey apparently at the second coming these borders will be <laughs> reinstated and so it is really a uh, it's all for every anybody to see who has a bible you can all go to the same verses everybody in the whole world can look and see the rivers are pointed out the lines are drawn This is what God gave to Abram. And somehow it it comes down to a little sliver and postage stamp size. Little tiny little piece that they're still saying is way too much to give to them. Well, that's now the promise is to them. Let me talk to you about the little word Palestine. There are two options to call Israel anything, Canaan or Israel according to the Bible. You cannot refer to that biblically of any other way because the Bible does not call that strip of land anything other than two words. Formerly, Canaan. After Jacob, who becomes Israel with a name change, has 12 sons who are called Israelites because he's, called an Is- he's named Israel. After that, that's Israel There's no other name given. Where did Palestine come from? Palestine, I'm so glad you asked that because I am so ready to answer that. (laughs) Palestine appeared in the year 135 after the second revolt by the Jews. They tried in AD 70 and lost. And then a little remnant of them rose up against Rome again in 135. AD, the Roman emperor Hadrian renamed Jerusalem Alia Capitolina which means dedicated to Jupiter and renamed what was called Judea at the time Palestina which is a Latinized word for the Philistines. He did this As secular history tells us, not Christian history, not Jewish history. Secular world history says he did this to erase the identification with the Jewish people to the land of Israel. We're tired of you Jews. We're tired of you so much that we're renaming Jerusalem and we're naming the entire area Palestina in honor of your hated enemies. Well, the Philistines died out in 536 B.C. There's no more Philistines. They're an extinct people group. Therefore, there is no such thing, biblically, as a Palestinian, uh, racially. A Palestinian would be anybody who's living in the area that they have called, I don't need that anymore, but thank you, that they have labeled Palestine. It's a misnomer. It's Israel. So whether you were an Arab, a Jew, or a European, if you were living in that particular area, they would call you a Palestinian because for centuries that strip of land was just labeled Palestina, Palestine. There is no ethnic ethnically linked person to the phrase Palestinian. Just so we're straight with that. Now, if there's an article there, (laughs) if you're interested, I should say, in reading the article that I've prepared from Zola Levitt's ministry, I've got them on the back lobby. It's a four-page, really quick read of how the, the title Palestine came to be. What really, really irks me about this whole subject, as well, tonight, why am I doing this? Because they're going into the land. And I'm going to show you the third map here. Go ahead and get the third map. You see Reuben in the right lower-hand corner? Our people are entering and attacking the, the Amorites are coming down where Reuben is. They are blocking the way, and the Israelites destroy two kings, Reuben and Engad. Those are, are Jewish names for the Jewish boys, the Jewish tribes that will one day have the promised land. But they, w- they are entering tonight, and now you will see before your very eyes how Israel is becoming Israel israel 's becoming Israel right here in the in the year thirteen hundred or so. They are going to win their first two battles and enter into what God said four hundred years earlier to Abram, even though you can 't have kids, even though your wife is barren i 'm going to make sure you have a kid, and Isaac is born, and from them seventy of the Israelites go down into Egypt where they develop into two million strong. God busts them out of Egypt and now wanders them around in the desert because they can't seem to get in step with him. And now we're done with that. And now he's got them on the lip. 400 years later, they're entering the promised land. You see, now you kind of get the whole picture. So it'll make a little bit more sense than when you just read it and say, and so they're fighting a battle, and yay, they're so happy they won. They're so happy because it's 400 years. They've been hearing about this land, and now they're going to occupy Reuben and Gad tonight. By the end of Numbers 21, they've got the southeast corner of the Promised Land. All right? All right? You're too quiet. You need to say amen, even though there's no no reason for saying it. All right. Oh, you're writing. That's good. That's good. All right. So, Numbers 21. We're ready to enter the land. Verse 21. Israel, still outside, perched right at the border there sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who were occupying that southeast corner. Let us pass through your country. We won't turn aside into any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon, this king of the Amorites, would not let Israel pass through his territory, He mustered his entire army and marched out into the wilderness against Israel. When he reached Jahaz, he fought with Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword and took over his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok. But only as far as the Ammonites, because their border was fortified. Israel captured all the cities of the Amorites and occupied them including Heshbon and all its surrounding settlements. Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken from him all his land as far as the Arnon. Let's just stop. We're going to make it through the whole chapter, but let's just stop there. The 400-year prophecies coming to pass, as I've mentioned, and the victories now are starting as a deposit of the good things that are going to come. God is going to fulfill his good word to those people, and they are going to live in the land there. One thing that uh, spiritual application for me as I'm studying this, God has given them the land. He's saying, take it, but fight for it. I've given this to you. Now you do your part. I will be with you. I will. You can't do it without me, but I need you to cooperate with to receive the gift that I'm giving you, I'm calling you somewhere, now take it, rise up and take it, get to work, I'm not going to airlift you up and then drop you in and that kind of thing, I need you to fight for what I have already decreed for you to have, it's yours, now take it. I hope that's speaking to you as it is speaking to me. I see the entire Christian life unfolding before my very eyes. A few things to notice about these victories, the first one that you're reading about here in the southeast corner, their very first entrance into the quasi-promised land there. First of all, God's purposes prevail, I want you to see the ultimate foolishness of those who oppose God and his will. And we've already talked at length about these people who get wiped out. They've had significant notification. We see from Joshua Joshua chapter 2 from Rahab that they all heard about what's coming. They've heard about the Lord in Egypt and the ten plagues. They know the, the gospel in its ancient form. They have consciences. They know that they shouldn't throw their babies into the fire. They know that they shouldn't have fornication in their temples. They, all, they know all of that. And yet, when they hear from the Promised Land people, the Promised Land Express wants to come through, they say, oh, no, you're not coming through. Here is a big lesson. Stand in front of God's Promised Land Express. You will be run over. I mean, you will be squished. Jesus said those exact words. You will be squished. I, he did. Oh, I'm going to <laughs> proof text me right now. He said, I am the cornerstone. If anyone falls on me, you will be destroyed. If it, I, fall upon you, you will be squished. Crushed. Okay, Squished. <laughs> It's the same thing. So don't think I'm using my words lightly. Do not stand in the way of God. And you you may be thinking, well, I'm not going to stand out and oppose and fight against him. I'm going to be more passive-aggressive. That means I'm aggressive, but I'm going to do it passively. I'm just not going to respond to God. I'm not going to give him the time of day. When he speaks, I'm going to be doing something else. I'll show him who's boss. You're just as aggressive as the Amorites, only you don't have the courage to be an Amorite. And so you think that you're okay because you don't exhibit the outward rebellion. No. You'll be squished the same. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the the Son has no life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You will be crushed. Well, what kind of God is that? The same God who crushed his own son so that you wouldn't have to be crushed. That's the kind of God. He doesn't weaken at his rebellion and sin. He has to crush it. So instead of you being crushed, he said, how, how about Me? He falls beneath the weight of the sins of the world in the garden, and blood is coming out of his pores thinking about what he's going to have to do. And he's crushed on your behalf. So when I say don't stand in God's way or path or his people or his purposes, or you're going to get crushed, I'm not talking about this vindictive, weird, cruel, out-of-touch God. I'm talking about a God who let his own son be crushed on our behalf. Well, you know, they asked nicely. Here's the paraphrase. Hey, can we cut through your property? We won't exit from the highway. We won't take anything that belongs to you. We're just passing through. But the evil king wouldn't have any part of that. He calls out his entire military with a show of force to block the path by attacking the people of God. Ultimate foolishness lives on. It was so all through the Old Testament. It's all through Jesus' life and ministry all through the acts of the apostles, it should be the acts of the Holy Spirit, who is uh, birthing the church and establishing the church on earth. Where was it different than people always opposing? There's always opposition like that. There's always the Amorite. 3,300 years later, one week ago, a five-hour bus ride... From where I showed you the southeast corner, five hours on a bus, the descendants of those people who are standing like this, the very blood, biological, genetic descendants, five-hour bus ride, blow up a Christian church four days ago. 3300 years later, nothing is changed. There's still Amorites. There's still the gospel. Do you think that those Muslims that did that and they've already taken credit for doing it as Muslims? Do you think they've not heard of the Lord? <laughs> do you think that nobody said, "Hey, can we? We're just worshiping the Lord. We're passing through here in Egypt, or whatever it is." I mean, it's the same idea. They get the heads up. They know they have a conscience. They know that any god in his right mind wouldn't say go up blow up innocent people. They know. It's the same. It's right here. 3300 years later. Those people groups Canaan. Let me take a little little time with Canaan. The Canaanites get you get confused because they call the people groups the Hittites. The Jebusites, the Gergesites, and a lot of otherites. <laughs> New York City has the Irish section, the Italians, the Puerto Ricans, the Hispanics. They have little pockets. They're all called New Yorkers, but one's Irish, one's Italian, one's a Jew, right? They're all Canaanites. They're all New Yorkers. They're all Canaanites. But in Canaan, you have actual Canaanites, which are kind of the native New Yorkers, and then you've got the Irish and the Italian and the Catholics. Sorry, that just came out. (laughs) I I said Irish and Italian. The next thought was Catholic. (laughs) All right? Those peoples descend from Ham, Noah's son, Ham. Canaan is a Hamite. Those people groups now in Egypt are Hamites. Secular history. Ham is the progenitor of Egyptians. The people who are blowing up the Christians in Egypt this week are from Canaan. They are blood related. It just blows my mind. You're reading in the Bible, you're reading the newspaper. You're reading better than the newspaper. More accurate. The second thought here is a song. Now they're going to bust out a song here. Let me explain, because it's a little it gets a little confusing. They start singing when the Amorites are destroyed and they get the southeast corner there, where Gad is gonna go. They're all excited. They write a song. They start singing a song. Well, this chapter has had three short songs. Verses 14 and 15, the song of places, how God guides them from place to place. Then they, from 17 and 18, uh, we have the song of provision, spring up, O oh well, how God gave them water in a thirsty land. And now there's another song appearing. Now, you won't get this song unless I explain beforehand before we read it. These Amorites who just got conquered previously battled the Moabites, who are more north, and wiped them out. And they wrote a song about it. Israel is mocking the Amorites' song, their victory song, because they're singing about how they wiped out the king of Moab, and Israel sings their song and then right at the end adds, but we wiped you out. All right? So here's, here's the song. Verse 27. That is why the poets say, come to Heshbon and let it be rebuilt, because they destroyed it. <laughs> let Sihon's city be restored. Fire went out from Heshbon ablaze from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab. the the citizens of Arnon's heights. Woe to you, Moab! You are destroyed, people of Chemosh, that was their god they worshipped. He has given up his sons as fugitives and his daughters as captives to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Now here's Israel's part. But we have overthrown them. Heshbon's dominion has been destroyed all the way to Dibon. We have demolished them as far as Nofath, which extends to Medeba. Now, it's a taunting song. The first six lines are what Moab, what they sang about their former victory, and the last two lines are Israel. In other words, the Amorites wrote a song that said, we beat the powerful Moabites, we beat the powerful Moabites, right? And then so Israel sang, we beat the powerful Moabites, Moabites, you say, we beat the powerful Moabites, you say, but we beat you. That's what this song is about. Now, what kind of attitude is that? <laughs> I say it's a good one. <laughs> you know why? The, <laughs> it's all, read some of the Psalms, folks. Rise up, O Lord, and break the jaw of my enemy. Well, you know what? I think it's best to to do as Jesus said, love our enemies. And King David had some learning to do with grace as well. Um, I'm not saying that any, I'm not taking away from the Psalms. I'm just saying that with the revelation of Jesus Christ, I think it's safer not to sing those, they're called imprecatory Psalms. That the imprecatory Psalms are uh, songs about Heating your enemy and hoping that they fall into a big hole, you know, in Jesus' name. Um, that's kind of what they're doing here. I, I just leave that kind of thing to, uh, to King David. I would rather just pray other kinds of prayers and be safe. Because you would never know, and here's my reason why, you never know who's disguised as a brother in the Lord. Because you can be singing a song about Mary Magdalene. I hope she fell that homewrecker, that, that, you know, that hussy or whatever you want to call her. Well, she was. She had seven demons. She was a prostitute. And you could sing your song about hoping that she fall into a well. You know what? And then, then, then what? You've blown it because that was the first witness of our Lord's resurrection before Peter, James, and John number one witness of God's resurrection, Mary Magdalene. Do you want to fall in a hole? How about Paul the Apostle? You could sing a song about him. Kill Saul, kill Saul. You know, he's killing us, Lord, kill. Yeah, right? He was. He was killing us. And then he becomes the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. That is why... I kind of recommend caution in hating your enemy because you just don't know right up to the last second who is who. Amen? Amen. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Do good to them. They're hungry, make them dinner. They're thirsty, bring them over something to drink. So... Wrapping up here, let's finish up. They sing songs. I do want you to notice that in the song, they are dissing their god, Chemosh, and, and there's a reason for that. It's not just the king's reputation, the kings who are fighting. It's the god of the people's re- reputation. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. In ancient times, in First Kings chapter 20, the king of Syria comes against the king of Israel. And they duke it out. And the king of Israel, Ahab, they win. And Syria loses. So Syria's strategy for the next year, and here's what it says in 1 Kings 20. Let's move the fight away from the hills and onto the plains. Because apparently their God is God of the hill area but we need to move it down to the flat levels because our God is a, a lot better with flat surfaces. 1 Kings, you think I'm lying. 1 Kings chapter 20, look it up. That's how they thought. it was. A, it's, and so they're singing, we beat Chemosh, we beat Chemosh, and Israel says, but Yahweh beat Chemosh. Yahweh beat him. There's a new God on the scene. He's good in the hills He's good in the valleys. He's good on the flat places. He's good in the air. He's good in the sea. He's good underground. He's just good everywhere. Amen? Okay, last little paragraph. So Israel settled in the land of the Amorites. So now the southeast corner is going to be theirs, and God's going to name Gad. The tribe of Gad will get that area. After Moses had sent spies to Jazer the Israelites captured its surrounding settlements and drove out the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, another king now, higher. Bashan is east of the Sea of Galilee, so right where Manasseh is going to go. And Og, the king of Bashan, and his whole army marched out, another unprovoked, to meet them in the battle of Edrei. The Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So they struck him down together with his sons and his whole army, leaving them no survivors. They took possession of his land. And oftentimes that we see that the New Testament application really is God has Promised our hearts and lives to the gospel, and our job is to subdue our own sinful nature and 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 and, and have zero tolerance for sins. And the Canaanites and the Hittites and the parasites are uh, drunkenness and sexual immorality and those kind of things. God says no, 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 no zero tolerance with any of that, or or they will in the end. You leave a survivor. It will come around uh, to get you in the end. So they're singing songs, another unprovoked attack, another defendant of victory. They're going to take this village or this people group as well, and they're singing about it, Psalm 135. Ten times, as I said, in the Old Testament, you will hear about these two battles. They sing about them all the time. In fact, Joshua will, will say to them, here in Deuteronomy 31, the Lord your God himself, they're getting ready now to cross the Jordan. And here's how Og and, and Sihon come up again. They're getting ready to cross. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you. And as the Lord said, and as the Lord will... do And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. So they sing this song. Whenever they get discouraged, they sing this song. God has been faithful to us. Remember Og of Bashan. Remember Sihon. Do you have songs like that? I think it's very biblical for you to remember all the battles God has brought you through. And that when you're facing another thing that seems to get you down, to be able to say, as David said, the same God who saved me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion is going to save me from this giant Philistine. So David had courage to go up against a very big challenge because he was singing the song of past victories that God had afforded him. Sing those songs, folks. Why do we forget those songs and we think this is the one time it's going to all be different? God is not going to come through for me. God comes through all the time. Sing the songs. Be reminded. I love getting older. I don't love everything about getting older, but one thing I love about now being 51. I got 31 years of serving the Lord. I got these songs. I got I got a song, I got a song for everything you can imagine. And every time something comes to me and somebody says, "Oh, now oh." I hear that song. I mean, if it's medical, oh, it's a, oh, the doctor, da, da, da. Sorry. You know what I'm saying. That's the weird thing is that that's almost a language, what I'm saying? So let me, t- let me sing you this song, the song where Barb is pregnant. We were married three months. We wanted kids right away. Barb got pregnant right away, three months. And we were at youth group. I was a youth master. And she started to miscarry. Um, And she lost that baby. Then we prayed for another one. She got pregnant right away. And she started to miscarry again. At church again. So we went home, called the doctor. They did a test. And the doctor said, you don't have enough pregnancy hormone to support this pregnancy. You're going to miscarry. We were devastated, number two. That night, a friend from Bible college came over and said, surprise, we're still drying our tears. We had just hung up with a nurse from Kaiser who told us that news about you don't have enough pregnancy hormone. She said, I'm in the neighborhood. Come to a prayer meeting. I'm going to a prayer meeting. Well, why are you here? I just remembered you lived in the neighborhood. So we said, we better go to the prayer meeting. So we went to the prayer meeting. A Bunch of ladies found out about why Barb's mascara was running and (laughs) laid hands on her and prayed. That night, we were falling asleep. She's still miscarrying. And I was reading a psalm. And it said, show me a favor. Show me a sign of your good favor, O Lord. And I finished reading that. And Barb said, I felt the baby move. And I said, honey, it's the size of a peanut. I mean, you're, what, you're, she was 11 weeks along. 11 weeks. You don't feel a baby move until five months. She said, I felt something when you said that. We went back. We had an ultrasound. The first words out of her mouth. There's nothing wrong with this baby. There must have been some mistake. There must have been some mistake. We had a blood test. A blood test that said she doesn't have enough hormone to support the pregnancy. Well, you know, maybe it was a false positive or positive false. Or, a, yeah, <laughs> of course it was. You know, and, and so what do we name her? We name her Jordan because where God does a miracle. We got a song there. Well, we hear a lot of things through our lives. Oh, no. Oh, you've got, to me, a doctor, to my face, you've got a 40% chance to survive now. Traditional chemotherapy failed. Radiation failed. 40%. If we can't stop it, you've got 12 months to live. From his mouth to my face. Oh, they're singing the song. Singing the song. God, you remember. The test came out. The doctor said, We prayed. You moved. We got lots of songs financial songs, medical songs, relational songs, marriage songs, yes. <laughs> church songs, friend songs. We got those songs. Keep those songs nearby. What do you think they're singing them for? 500 years David lived after this, and they're singing it 500 years later. They're singing about Og that you read tonight. I encourage you to face what God has for you with confidence, obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. And thank you, Lord, that we're going to the promised land to a place you prepared for us. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. And if I go to prepare this place, I will come back and get you and bring you to this place that we will be together forever. The promise... That know, Father God, you're taking us there one step at a time. Help us along the way to sing these songs, to keep us encouraged, that you always keep your promises and you are for us. And you're taking us all the way. Thank you. That really depends on you, Lord, as we just follow. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. In this room and forgetting all the past moments of deliverance whereby your grace you've walked us through so many difficulties. May you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring to mind times and where you have come in and rescued and brought good and redemption out of things in the past, how, how we saw your hand and saw how you turned it around. And even, Lord, when it didn't go the way we wanted it to go, we saw that it was good, that it went the way it did. We're starting to make sense of it, God. God, help us to recall those songs and to sing them with faith. To trust you, Lord, in all our ways, and to do as the Israelites are doing, just walking in obedience, walking in faith, and loving you, worshiping you, and seeing you do the miraculous on their behalf. May it be so for us tonight in this place, we pray in Christ's name. To all God's people said a hearty amen. amen. God bless you. I do have an announcement. You know, we were going to have a cleanup crew the de- disassemble Narnia, um, and Jim was here today, and Jim got busy and, and did a lot of the work, so we don't need as many people, I believe just a couple, maybe just to sort through what Jim did. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job. And don't worry, uh, the women are going to redecorate the place. This is how Adam and Jim thought it should go. uh, I thought they did pretty good for guys, but yeah.